Hello everyone, welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. This is Mitchie, and for today's episode, we're going to look into a case that eerily mirrors a case that happened back in South Korea in 2016. Now for the case that I was referring to, that one was a case that happened in Sochodong in Gangnam District in Seoul, known as the public toilet murder case where a man named Kim Sung-min had murdered a woman simply because he had hated women for ruining his life. Police had later refuted his claims and tried to simply say that he was only mentally ill and that it was not a hate crime. However, people knew that that wasn't the case and that the police were just trying to clean up a mess. The case that we're going to talk about today, as I said, it's eerily similar and shows, you know, reform is desperately needed and times simply just have not changed. Even though we're years later into this, like, we're six years later and nothing has changed and that is still super scary. So we're going to go into this, kind of backtrack a little bit, come to the present, and then we're going to talk about it. So this was a fairly recent case, as recent as last year, and we just got an update as of February of this year. So on the evening of September 13th, 2022, a man by the name of Jun Juhun was set to go before court regarding a stalking case the following day, but, you know, he had other plans. The stalking case was involving a 28-year-old former co-worker of his that he had become overly obsessed with. He had tried, well, she had tried multiple times to go to the police to get help, and she had successfully got the courts to be on her side saying that this guy was indeed a threat. And she had filed, you know, many injunctions, many restraining orders, saying that this guy is definitely dangerous, but, you know, for some reason, some rhyme or reason, he had managed to evade quite a bit, but, you know, time ran out, and now he was about to have his day in court, but he just was not having it. So, with his time running out, he was backed into a corner, And with him being scared, he had one thing on his mind, and that was if he could not get her to settle out of court, he was just going to take her out before she could testify against him and get him put in jail. So while she was doing her evening shift the night of the 13th, she had no clue what was about to happen to her. So he lay waiting in the shadows, gloves adorned, wearing a shower cap, trying to remove any kind of physical evidence that could tie him to it, waiting and waiting for over an hour outside of the women's area. And after about an hour of waiting, he went inside and brutally attacked her in a sick ploy of revenge and stabbed her to death. Now, exactly what made him want to do this? As I said, he was overly obsessed with this woman. And this obsession began way back 
in 2019. And the courts were made well aware of this situation. And as I said, she had tried many times filing injunctions, trying to get, you know, get this taken care of. At one point, it was said that John had called his victim more than 300 times, begging to see her and would barrage her with questions, asking her to give him a chance to go on a date. And when that failed, he would turn to threatening her with harm if she refused, and it terrified her. And when the police were notified, they said that he was just a harmless guy. And they told her he was low risk, despite the courts even telling them that they needed to intervene because of the behaviors that he was exhibiting with the threats. But they were completely wrong. And one of the games that John loved to play was, as I said, that game of laying low. When the law got involved, or when he was tipped off that the law was going to be involved, he would stop doing these threats. So he could be seen as not so vicious. You know, he was just a good guy. He just wanted to go on a date with her. You should give him a chance. That's all it was. It's what kept him from getting that full restraining order for so long. That's what kept him, up until the point of 2022, from getting that full order, you know. It wasn't really seen as stalking if he was just seen as a sweet, innocent guy. So, as soon as that was done, then he'd go right back to it. But then he would go back on it again, and she'd go back to the courts and say, he's doing it again. So really all the courts could do for the longest time was maybe a month of keeping her under under their watch. And then after that month was up, then he would go right back at it again. Now eventually, like I said, John's luck would run out and he did get caught and he got the stalking charge and the conviction was set to be heard in court on September 14th. And of course he was enraged. And according to um, the district central court in Seoul, what they believed was that he was determined to murder his victim unless she agreed to settle out of court. And he believed that he was due damages because how dare she file something against him? How dare she retaliate against him and reject him? Her reports and complaining of his stalking had resulted in him losing his job. That just was not fair. So he lost his job in 2021, a year before all of this had happened. And this just made him so angry. And this is what led up to the evening of September 13th, 2022. And this is what brought us to the night that she was brutally attacked and stabbed. And when I'm referring back to how he said that he felt like he was due like some sort of like compensation or retaliation, I should also point out when it comes to like stalking laws in South Korea, we see that there's a lot of loopholes here when it comes to the possibility uh, for stalkers to manipulate and bully their victims into silence them. Blood money is also a major issue in a lot of civil cases when it comes to South Korea, just to like hush the victims in a lot of cases. Like, 
if you've listened to The Dark Side of Soul, there are quite a few cases that I have heard about where people have just, like, kind of showed up and they've tried to, like, pay off victims to keep them from, you know, testifying in court, which is absolutely revolting. So, there's a point that stalkers can only be prosecuted with the consent of the victim, and that seems to be why John, at this point, wanted to target her, so I don't know if his intent necessarily, what his intent was, but it seemed like he wanted her completely silenced, and I think his viewpoint was, if he attacked and killed her, he couldn't have a case against him. So, in the wake of all of that, it seems like now lawmakers are pushing to have that clause removed. So we'll see how far that actually goes because it seems like another thing that's brought up is that something will start as a law being removed or a law being enacted and it just kind of sits there and sits there until it kind of dies. And that that kind of happens over here in the U.S. as well, which is very sickening as well. So, of course... Um, when the young woman's family found out, they were extremely distraught, and it was hard for them to, you know, leave the funeral area, and it was revealed the family had no idea what was going on, because she didn't tell them much about what was going on, and it could be just, like, that's the culture of what goes on, like, not a lot of people, even all over the world, I feel like a lot of people don't talk about them being stalked or they have somebody that's, you know, abusing them or anything. It's, there's such a negative stigma around abuse and stalking all over the world that it's so hard. And when it comes to, like, trying to go to authority to report it or trying to go to somebody, they're so, it's so lax because, like, police figures. They're like, are you sure that happened? Like, what were you wearing? Were you drunk? Like, why were you out at that time of night? Like, it's so hard for a lot of victims, both male and female, but especially female, to go and try to report it. It's just absolutely revolting. So, for her family to not know what was going on and then for them to find out through something like this, it's absolutely heartbreaking so it's it's hard but then the police of course um investigation here we go but on the evening of the 21st of september they did manage to locate john at um shindong station on line two now when he was caught of course he admitted to what he did and here he goes trying to say that he's sorry immediately because he's caught. And he's like, okay, what I did was truly crazy. I'm so sorry. But if you're sorry, why would you do what you did in the first place? That's what I'm saying. Don't say you're sorry because you're caught because you weren't sorry for what you did. So, <clears throat> it makes no sense. Now, there was a complete public outcry when this happened, and public protests were taken to the streets. And there's pictures and everything of um, 
the bathroom where this had happened, I mean, post-it notes and flowers are all over the station. Um, this made huge headlines. Um, it's kind of surreal when you look at it. I mean, even now when I look at the photos and everything, it kind of takes my breath away when I see it. But even with this making major headlines, the story kind of only stayed at the front of the headlines for a couple of weeks, and then it just kind of disappeared. And this was extremely infuri infuri <clears throat> excuse me, infuriating for women all over the world, and anybody that could really empathize. I mean, people felt a sense of betrayal, and it's not just because of how quickly it disappeared, it's that all these people that should have been there to protect her, the government itself, the authorities, as well as her employer and those around her that should have been paying attention, they just failed her and let her down. And it's happened way too much in the past just for this to be like an isolated thing, and it's happened way too much in history. And it's like an ongoing, ongoing and growing hate crime and it's made so many women angry and scared and of course the public outcry was as bad as it was and it's made so many people wonder how many more young women is it going to happen to before something is actually done about it especially when it comes to an area like Seoul that is so densely populated, so full of people, especially young women who are out there just trying to work and trying to make a living for themselves, especially when there's, you know, the growing problem with Ilbei and all that. But where there is the growing need for women to feel independent and to feel a sense of empowerment, you have the people on the other side as well who also want to be seen. So there was a professor named Jackie Kim Wachika, and I apologize if I mispronounced her name. Um, she She's a professor of gender and identity in Japan and Korea um, in Kyoto. Uh, she worries about the possibility of a rift in gender because of stuff like this, and the point she brings up as food for thought, the best that I can summarize it is, um, how essentially we all want to feel validated. You know, women who are sick of being victimized by the oppression of a patriarchal society, but also men who are demanding that their own oppression be recognized as well. And I guess for me, the way that I can say it, you need to focus on the problem at hand, which is the unjust murder of all of these victims, such as this beautiful young woman who simply was just trying to live her life but couldn't because somebody just could not take no for an answer but because of people out there who simply just want their feelings to be validated now we have to bring up this feeling of oh because these women are out there protesting well, what about my feelings what about this this happens to x too like yes we do realize this 
we're not saying this doesn't happen to them, but you need to look at this bigger picture. Can we look at this bigger picture first? And then we can get to this bigger problem at hand. Like this is all we're asking. Look at us like we're humans too. For the love of God, please. We're human beings as well. Only then can we... I guess for me saying, only then can we look at that and then take the step forward to try to fix that problem at hand. But that's just my opinion in a nutshell. So, on to the sentencing for John. So when John appeared before court for his charges on stalking, um, he was handed down a sentence in Korea for stalking for the maximum of nine years. And when you think about it, just nine years for stalking, like, stalking can be really freaking gruesome. And it was just nine years, but okay. It's good that they handed down the maximum. And only recently, around the end of January, did he get found guilty for her murder. And he only got 40 years for that. Considering the brutality of it, he probably should have gotten life. So... All in all, he only got 49 years for his crimes, which is, I know is considerably a long time, so, but he's, what, 31 now? So what, he's gonna be, like, decently an old guy? He'll probably still be alive by the time he can get out. The guy really should have gotten life for his entire crimes. He has the possibility to get out of prison, which is considerably an outrage. But even though he did get a long time, it's not long enough to heal the hearts for the loved ones of the victim. And not near long enough to heal the damage that is going to be consistently inflicted upon the history of the country that is South Korea, but that is the case of the Seoul bathroom murder, and this is something that will go down in history as another case of femicide that is going to be a consistent marker as a need of reform within the country. But that does it for today's episode, so I hope you guys enjoyed. And if you have any suggestions or any other things that you would like to add on to the episode or any other comments as well, feel free to reach out to me. You can contact me either on Facebook or Instagram at Manic Manor Podcast, or you can reach out via email at manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. And until next week, we'll see you then.